Welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. And I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses. And this podcast is just us chatting every week about the reality of anything and everything property. As time passes, it's often good to take a bit of a, a review and look at where you are and where you're going and what the, the future might hold. And with 2022 being about halfway through, in fact, just over halfway through now, this has been a, a, a sort of good, good point to do such a review. And this is something that, that Stuart and I have been, been doing and looking at in our, in our businesses. And just before we started recording, Stuart was outlining his sort of top level approach. And that was to, to look at income and look at expenses and try to keep one bigger than the other. Is, is that sort of summing it up okay, Stuart? I, I think that sums it up perfectly. And it's uh, something I've been told is highly relevant in business is to ensure that the income line exceeds the expenses line. That's apparently good business practice and has been what uh, I'm trying to focus on. And as you say, particularly if we think about the last couple of episodes where we've talked about what might professionally be called the headwinds that we are facing in the private rental sector with regards to all of the things we've talked about, Section 21, Section 24, etc., etc. And the, the two key areas are obviously income and expenses. And, and so where do I start? Well, of course, I think it's the same for every one of us. And I'm going to hear people just chuckling away when we say it's, it's about occupancy, isn't it? You know, number one, it's about being occupied as much as you can. Of course, now, if you've got two or three one-bed buy to lets that's very different to a portfolio where you're operating on a room by room basis so there are differences but for for example in my business which i split into two so we have lord panda owned properties and then we have lord panda leased properties and essentially those lord panda leased properties are those properties that we are renting directly from landlords to then rent out ourselves which many people know as rent to rent. Now, in the portfolio, we've we, we're now up to just around sixty rooms. So, as you can imagine, that is for me a fair number of rooms to to keep occupied. And typically, we've been above ninety percent. My target is always a hundred. We used to operate on ni- just over ninety eight percent actually, and that was based on just having one room void and. At the moment, we're operating at 86%. And the reason that is, is we took about 12 beds on little more than a week ago at this time of recording. And so it's, it's, it's very early days. However, we've, we've already filled a third of that property. So we've already got four rooms in. So in my world, we're doing quite well. But that's the first priority. So how do I make sure that we are as close to 100% as possible? I think, uh, from my point of view, how you do that is you get rid of all your HMO rooms and you have nice, really simple buy-to-let properties. <laughs> I've just looked up my numbers and I can tell you that currently I have I have five rental units. This is actually four properties, but one of them has a garage, which is rented separately. So I've got five rental units and I am 100% occupied. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And looking back over the last 12 months, I can also tell you that I have been 100% occupied for the whole of the 12 months because I haven't had any tenant changes in the last year. So, so yeah, there you go. That's what you should do, Stuart. 
It absolutely is. <laughs> and if I could turn back time, I probably would. But that brings on actually nicely to the second element, which is, are they paying the right rents? So if we're 100% occupied, is everyone paying a room rate? And you and I had this discussion. It was on the podcast recently. You, you did decide to increase your, your rents on one of the properties. And I too have looked at that. So I had one tenant. So one tenant out of 60, it's a, it's a very small degree, but wasn't on a, a, a particularly competitive rate. And I then considered what that rate was compared to the rest of that house, actually, not compared to the portfolio, because it, it, it wouldn't have seemed fair to me. Because as you can imagine, some properties are in a much better condition than others, depending on where they are in terms of the portfolio. And this particular tenant, his rate was 10% lower than any of the tenants. So on, of those on the lowest room, he was still paying 10% and actually had a really nice big room, big window. So, so it was actually a competitive room. So I just reached out to the tenant and the guarantor in this case and said, look, we're going to revise the, the, the rent and actually the tenant was on a periodic, so it was just rolling. So it felt like the right time to me and just said, look, given everything that's going on at the moment in terms of you know, inflation that w- that's been done to death, cost of utilities, etc., it seems fair to me that we'll increase this rate. And I didn't give a percentage, but just for the sake of this podcast, it was somewhere in the region of 8 or 9% it worked out. So we increased the rent by about eight or nine percent, and just said, as we as I do a new contract, want to increase the rate to this level. I hope that's okay. The response was the sort of response I love to get, which was that seems perfectly fair to me. Just send it across, and that was how I brought that one room. But obviously, in a in a portfolio of sixty rooms, can I hand on heart say I've done that as often as I sh- as I should? No, but it certainly warrants a look. So the, the, yeah, th- this is where where I stopped feeling quite so smug about my <laughs> occupancy. As you mentioned, we talked about this a while ago, and you, you said recently this was months ago. Time goes so fast, but it was months ago we talked about the the rent increase that I was considering, and then did actually implement for, for one of my tenants. And and yes, that that has gone smoothly. They have been paying the increased rent, but it's still well below the the market rent for that area. And this is something that I need to make more of an effort to review and act on regularly. And I've now set up reminders in Patma to make sure that I actually do review them on the yearly anniversary of each tenancy. And while I I don't have any expectations of being able to bring some of the tenancies back up to market rent, because I think they're just too far behind, I will at least now try and keep them ticking over and gradually increasing over time to at least not fall further behind. But do you have a process for, for doing that? And I mean, with, with HMOs, I assume you have a much higher turnover of tenants generally. So obviously every time a tenant turns over, do you review what the asking rent is for, for that room? Yeah, in short, yes. So at the end of a tenancy, if, if they leave, we depart. And it could go both ways. The, the rent can go up and it can go down depending on the quality. And, and if, we, if I'm just step back a minute and we think about the levers that we're talking about. So we're still talking about income. The lever is 100% occupancy. Are they paying the right levels? And how can we 
ensure that that occupancy stays longer for us? Well, it, it comes back to the quality of the environment that they're in. So that just comes back to your point, because I'm going to be completely transparent as well. I have a property where the quality of it has lowered in the last year and a half. It's a seven bed property. It, it wasn't extremely high quality to begin with, but obviously with seven people in it, that has lowered. Now, there are some challenges I've got with that, which I'm not going to talk about here, but let's just say maintenance hasn't been as up to date as it should have been, despite various requests. And what that means is that we've had to lower the room rate, which isn't something we wanted to do. So in terms of that occupancy lever, the other element that's quite key for us is ensuring that all maintenance is up to date, not just in terms of the the basics, but in terms of the aesthetics as well. Because, you know, the scuffs, everything looking not as great means that we are less likely to keep people for longer. So the the life cycle of a tenant reduces and then the room rate drops down. So those levers are all quite key in regards to ensuring that that income is at the level it should be. And obviously there's a rabbit hole of how we review the rents, but essentially it's just looking at what the room is. Is it still of the highest quality and what is the competitive landscape looking like? And at the moment, it's, it's quite competitive. There are a lot of people looking for rooms, but they now want much, much better rooms. They're not, they're not willing to accept a, a, a room that maybe a year ago they would have accepted because of quality. So that ties nicely onto expenses, because if you're wanting to maximise your occupancy and your rent, you've got to have attractive properties, attractive rooms, as you just said. And in order to do that, you've got to keep the maintenance up. You've got to keep that property looking good, which is which is often difficult with lots of people living in it. And in order to do that, you've got to spend some money. So how do you decide what is the right amount to, to spend sort of between just a room tenancy and also perhaps on a on a larger property, perhaps even when you first get it as a as a refurb, you, you could always spend less and pitch at a lower occupancy and a lower rent, or you could spend more and pitch at a higher level. How do you decide where to go, and how does that feed into your overall calculations? Well, I, I mean, I think if I, if I were talking about projections, I'd probably look at around a 10% of income based on maintenance across the year, which can lead to quite a lot. I don't expect to spend that, but that's what I... Well, sorry, I do I expect that it could go up to that, but I obviously hope that it doesn't. I hope that it's a lot less than that. But essentially what we do, which is what we're going to do soon, is is one of the properties, the property that I'm talking about, is we'll have a walk around. Now, there's a lot of things that in my world are necessity that haven't been done, i.e. there's a, you know, it's not a hole in the kitchen, but it's there's a, a, a divot where it, it bows down. That that for me just had to, should be done. It's It's not an aesthetic thing. It's just a well probably a health and safety issue first and foremost but then we'll walk around and there's elements where it just needs painting it, it'll be addressing what needs to be addressed and if that means painting the, all of the communal areas that's what we'll do so for me it's it's really just about making this what I would consider the bare minimum and of course that's a very subjective level because we've all walked into properties and I probably walk into this property now with fresh eyes going oh I can't believe that this is the the level of it and I've had several people living here 
But of course, it's just one of those time things. We've left it. So it's really just a case of I'll walk around it with both the letting agent, if he or she is available, just so that they're aware, and also my maintenance person, just to say, right, these are the, and and we'll grade it, essentially a high, medium, low. These are the ones that are high and absolutely have to be done. These are medium. I'd like them to happen within a very short period of time, but it's not urgent. And then the nice-to-haves, which we might do six to 12 months down the line. But for me, it's just making sure the property looks clean. And my kind of final line on it is, is as always, would I be happy for my for my children to live there? And, you know, some of the properties I walk in, and no, I wouldn't. And they're, my, they're now my properties. So, so we have to address that. And that's kind of like our modus operandi, if you like, regards to property. Yeah, I, I, as you say, I think it, if, if you're going to property and I look around, walk around it and can see mm, that, that bit doesn't look, look great or that, that bit's a bit concerning or, yeah, I don't, don't think I'd like touching that, then, then yeah, it, it shows it needs fixing. And I, I tend not to do this very much during tenancies because it's whole property let, but certainly between tenancies, that, that's when I go in and, and quite often spend a, a reasonable amount in a, in a, single lump to to bring the property back up to standard so moving on from maintenance what other expenses are are you looking at well obviously the big one for everyone is utilities and the the way i work because they are predominantly hmo stroke multi-let rooms is i work with a fixed cost company so they they are essentially an aggregator of energy providers so what they can do what they can offer me and they might not be the cheapest, but what they enable me to do is to create uh, cash flow forecasts. So, for example, what that means is I might buy a property or I might uh, take ownership of a property or take rental ownership of a property. And they would agree that the gas and electric is going to cost £200 a month. Ha, ha, ha. But let's say it's £200 a month. Then I just know that that is exactly what we're going to pay for the next 12 months per month. And there's there's no rising and falling because one of the big challenges obviously we have as a as an HMO room provider is clearly uh, between you know the months of September and February March the the gas bills and electric bills are going to be much much higher than they are during the summer months and that really impacts our sort of cash flow for for obvious reasons. So what? I've selected one of these companies for is just to ensure that what I can now do is forecast and know what the level of expenditure will be month on month for for a minimum 12 months and we actually forecast longer than that so that's how I do that I actually bundle in other things as well like council tax broadband and I think they're the key ones that, that go into it water obviously and all that means is I've just got a fixed cost now of course that fixed cost can increase now because of what's happening. But typically, I'm told when that's going to change. So for example, I would say, okay, all of these monthly costs will last up until the 30th of June, which is now passed. And the next cost will be this, but that will last for two years. There will probably be people that might meticulously review these costs and say, well, actually, based on your tariffs, you're paying 15% more than you should do on an annual basis. I accept that. And I accept it because I'm happier to know what I'm paying than to have a better rate that's variable. And hopefully that makes sense. 
Well, it makes sense to me, but in terms of the words, it makes sense. Yep, I think that makes sense. And I think it's interesting that you're deliberately, you're not just fixing the the rate or the costs of the energy and other supplies. You're also balancing that over the year. So every month is the same for you rather than cheaper months in the summer and more expensive months in the winter. You, you've opted to, to just spread that evenly over the whole year and know consistently what those expenses are going to be. But you said the big expense, of course, for everybody is utilities. But what about mortgage interest? Surely you spend more on mortgage interest than you do on utilities. They haven't got that bad yet, have they? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the big one, I guess, because utilities has been top of mind, but you're absolutely right, of course, with the interest rate rises that we've seen over the last month. Yeah, I guess I think about those less because the impact is coming down the pipe depending on where you are with your mortgage, you know, your mortgaged fixed terms. So most products that we pick were either two or five years and all of the products I picked in the early days were all two years. In fact, I think I've only just done a three-year, but now, given the choice, I'd pick five-year every time. Well, depending on all of the other factors without going into the ERCs and the, and the arrangement fees, all things being equal, I think like most people, I'd probably pick the five years just because it pushes everything out far enough. Because like you said on the last episode, you know, we're, we're pushing, we're going to be pushing 5% soon. How soon? We don't know. But to answer that question, yes, what we want to do is review. And you know, I know that Patma, for example, you can put the, you, you know, your mortgage product dates in, which for me is a godsend because they're the little things that all big business banks on, isn't it? Like the insurance companies, we haven't talked about insurance, but like the insurance companies, they bank on our sloth as consumers. Well, I'll speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure they bank on our sloth because it's easier, isn't it? It's just easier to click a button that says continue. And in fact, if we know that most of these will just continue unless we proactively do something about it. And it's not that we, we can't be bothered, it's just that life is busy. So we don't, and mortgages, I feel, is a little bit the same, but having had four mortgage products and what happened was we had two properties both with existing mortgages and with further advances on the same properties they all went into svrs and i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole on this episode because it's not what we're talking about however what i can say is that yeah i nearly cried every day that i that i saw the these mounts leaving the the account because of the svrs were around i can't remember but let's say six seven percent as an annual rate, so so really high. But in terms of actual cost, it was like 30% more on those costs, compounded by the fact that the banks themselves just weren't getting round to dealing with it. So much so that we are trying to retrospectively get the additional interest paid back. And my broker is working on that at the moment. So hopefully that happened. But so, it's, it, so for me, it's really key that those things get flagged to us and flagged in advance because that was my issue. I didn't get to it quick enough. I still got it to it before it ended. But, you know, once you're in the hands of the bank, they can take as long as they like. So reviewing those products, making sure we're on the best products is paramount, is paramount. And, you know, particularly where we've got a number of existing mortgages and further advances, it's, it, it is, a, it, as you say, a big cost to, to cover off. Yeah, it's, it's not something you want to suddenly see a 30% increase in. That, that, that's for sure. <laughs> that's that's a, a 
big change and a big effect on something that is already a big expense. You you mentioned Patma having reminders built into it for the end of fixed terms, which which it does, which is brilliant and certainly something I, I would recommend for everyone so you, you don't miss those deadlines as they're coming up. But something I've added recently is a, a page that sort of looks at all your, your properties in your current portfolio and you can put in the kind of mortgage you might might be getting now. And it will do analysis and calculations for you to work out how much equity you could potentially release and then what the cost of the new lending would be and indeed your, your new profit coming out of that as well. Uh, anyone using Patma would, would like to, to use Patma to give that a go, I do, do recommend it. It's quite interesting to play around with those figures and, and see, see how things would, would work out or could work out with different, different mortgage scenarios and situations. And some, something else I've added in there sort of related to that is a, a capital gains tax page. So with properties that you've had for, for a longer period of time, you can also add in that capital gains element. So you can sort of look at how much of that equity or the equity gain you would actually be able to keep after you've sold potentially and solidified that and had to pay the, the capital gains tax. But anyway, we, we are digressing a bit from from the overall idea of reviewing our, our business portfolios or our property portfolios and the, the expenses and income involved. Is there anything else left on your on the expenses side of your, your balancing act? Well, I suppose the other thing that it's probably remiss of me to mention, particularly in relation, stepping back to utility bills, is that we can set limits uh, in terms of usage on tenants. That is, obviously, if, if whatever a fair usage is, and, and that's kind of like pre-agreed with agents, and I think in, in you know, in terms of a, you know, ombudsman levels is so you can say to each tenant, okay, you know, you, you are allowed up to X pounds per month. So that also kind of mitigates the risk. Um, I, I probably shouldn't say it publicly, but uh, it, it's, it's something we have in some of our contracts, not all. I, I wish we had it in more. But again, because of the fixed costs and knowing the nature of our tenancies, it's not something I'll get too hung up on. I, I probably it will be the next area of focus for me because in some properties we also have you know timer stats which we've talked about before which just ensure that heating cannot be left on for 24 hours a day so there's so there's other things like that that we can look at in terms of making sure that our energy usage stays within a reasonable you know re- reasonable level we've we've talked about you know the water mentioned insurance i guess that's a fairly straightforward one but just means again looking to see that we are at a competitive level for us hmo unfortunately the the market is fairly limited there's only one or two providers in the last few years that i've ever found will provide the right levels of insurance for the number of people that we have in properties and and that's going up as well so in terms of those bills yeah, just on the, the non-HMO side as well, my my building's insurance seems to be gradually going up. Although, quick aside, I, I renewed my car insurance a month or so ago. And yeah, the suggested renewal from my existing company was within £5 of the for the annual rate of the comparison site best option I could find. 
So, so yeah, that was, that was really nice to, to, to spend an extra hour or so going through comparison sites and decide that actually I can throw that hour away and stick where I am. <laughs> yeah. I, I won't have that luxury having just, having been in an accident and several thousand pounds going against my insurance premium. So I could only sit here green with envy. Although, while, while we're talking cars, quick follow up from uh, a previous car parts aside in the episode. Do you have your car back? Did, did they find the, the, the required missing car part and fix it? Well, I, I did. I found the part. I got the part delivered. And yes, they fixed it. So after five and a half months without car, I finally have the car back. Um, and it's due to go back in three months. So, <laughs> But I always look on the bright side. The bright side is I did much lower mileage in the car, although uh, I've packed on about 2,000 miles in the last couple of weeks. So but anyway, as you say, we digress. But there is an interesting point there around travel expenditure as well. We, we won't go into that, but obviously the cost of fuel is is ridiculously high. So, you know, as a bit as a business, it's thinking about how we can mitigate that. For me, it's fairly straightforward. I have to, you know, I do I do the mileage I do, but can can it cost me less to get the trains uh, or, or anything like that? But any other tips that you've got from your portfolio about reducing costs because my portfolio is is so simple being being all single lets i think i don't really have very much to to say on on this particular topic you say keep occupancy high keep those annual rent reviews in place especially in a single let situation where you've got longer term tenants stay on top of those so the the rents keep with market or close to market and on the expenses side, really, there's no utilities to worry about. So it's much more about mortgages, maintenance and insurance. And we've, we've mentioned all of those already. Stay on top of when your fixed mortgage rates expire. And other than that, just think carefully about checking the renewal rates and deciding what maintenance needs doing and when. And bearing in mind that sometimes it is worthwhile doing maintenance earlier rather than later try and catch those issues soon before they become bigger issues and cost more to fix yeah i mean i've got a couple of yeah final tips one is around council tax which is for anyone with an hmo and those that are listening this far if you do have a sort of working stroke professional household and potentially one or two students it's worth looking at because you can get a reduced rate or that room could get a reduced rate potentially so always worth looking at that because even if you say five percent of council tax you know that's that's still a hundred quid or a couple of hundred quid based on that and the other point was just around yours about maintenance early i spent quite a few thousand pounds on a property where the roof kept leaking kept falling in Turns out that the issue was the guttering hadn't been cleaned. There was a build-up of leaves in the gutter and so there was a massive water build-up. So what I've tried to do on a lot of properties, I haven't done them on all of them. And again, I, I ask myself why. We just need to action it. But it's just get an annual gutter clean on properties. It might cost a couple of hundred, 300 pounds per property, which you think, oh, that could be a couple of thousand quid. But the money that could save in the long term for me is worth it. We just need to get on it. So those little tips there are are definitely worthwhile. And that I think is is it for this episode. I hope you found some of those tips and things to look at and consider and review uh, useful. 
and you can take them away and apply them to your own property portfolio and find some things where you can save some money or increase your your income. And overall, I do hope you manage to keep your income above your expenses. And if you do, please let us know. Give us a shout on at biz of property. That's at B-I-Z of property on Twitter. Or send us a message. You can do that through the contact form on thebusinessofproperty.com, which is also where you can find show notes for this and all past episodes. And Stuart and I will talk to you again next week. Yeah.